Well, if you've been with us over these last few weeks, we have been looking at the birth stories in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Uh, We've been looking at a series of these birth stories and how they point to the big story of the Lord Jesus. Now, this week we hit fast forward. Uh, We move from uh, the book of Genesis, predominantly, uh, now to the Gospels, and we get to Luke's Gospel. Now, as we begin, as we look at Luke's Gospel, I want to set us a Bible challenge. That's right, we're getting interactive this morning. Here is your Bible challenge. Uh, Luke, as he writes the Gospels, uh, as as he writes his Gospel, rather, he's got the Old Testament part of the Bible, okay? And he's got eyewitness reports of the Lord Jesus. And then he sets about writing this this book we have before us. Now, here's my Bible challenge this morning. What page in the Bible does Luke not think we will have when he writes his gospel? Okay, now you've all got a black Bible here. So have a look. You can have a look in the contents page. Have a look around. What page in the Bible does Luke not think we've got? Off you go. Yeah, some of you are going to have a crack at this. Good, yes. Some frowns. I'm liking the fact that there are frowns. That's good. That's serious. Some of you just looking very blankly. Ollie, what are you doing? Very. I'm expecting blank looks. There's a clue. I'll give you a number, 805. Uh, there's your clue. Uh, what page does Luke not think we've, we've got? I've left a marker in it so I can find it, I think. What page does Luke not know we'll have? Yes, I've got a marker. Anyone find it? You can wave it at me if you found it. It's quite tricky to find as it doesn't have the number 805 on it. (laughs) This one. Yeah. Has everyone got one of those in their Bible? A little dividing page. All of us in our Bibles. The editors have put in this little slim little dividing page that marks out a change. It marks out that an era has changed from the Old Testament part of the Bible. We now move to the New Testament part of the Bible. This little page you've got, thank you to the editors of the ESV Bible, uh, this little page tells us that the era of God's promises has now moved into the era of God fulfilling his promises. That God has broken in to his world. He's fulfilling his plans to save. Now is coming the time when things are fulfilled. It's no longer a time of wondering, but a time of like, look, it's happening. This part is different to this part. And we've moved. That's what this page does for us. It's a little page, lovely little page. Better not pull it out. <laughs> Luke doesn't know we'll have one of those. Okay? Luke doesn't know it. So he's going to kind of give it to us this morning. This morning, Luke is going to put next to each other. Um, The birth of John the Baptist and the birth of the Lord Jesus. John the Baptist is the last figure, as it were, of the Old Testament era. He's the last prophet. He's the last figure of the age of promise. And and Luke's going to put that last figure next to the figure. The last prophet next to the prophet, the priest, the king, the fulfillment. So that we can see a new age has broken in. Night has passed. Day is breaking. The sun is rising. You know, our history books know it, don't they? 
Our history books have a page like that, don't they? We mark history a, uh, BC and AD. My question for us is, our history books know it, but do we know it? Do we live today as if God has broken into his world? Do we live like that's true? Do we live like today you can know God in a way you couldn't before? Do we live like you can have the Holy Spirit living inside you? Because God's fulfilling his promises. Do we live as if now there is a rescue message? Do we live as if a new heaven and a new earth is coming? Because God's done something. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. It's near. It started already. Everything changed 2,000 years ago, and that should change our lives, shouldn't we? And Luke doesn't want us to miss it. Trouble is, it could so easily be skipped over, couldn't it? I mean, read your Bible, skip over John the Baptist, and you could, you know, here's Mary and Joseph and the manger and the nativity. You could so easily see it as just the next story. Oh, you know, human stuff, God's using them, and the kind of next thing. You could live, in other words, like history hadn't changed. You could live as if God still made promises, but there was still a little bit of uncertainty. I wonder if many of us are living like that today. You could live as if there was much to doubt about God, low expectations. Is God doing anything? Luke wants us to be sure that is not the case. He wants to show us that something decisive has happened. Here then, the final prophet, the final person of that age, and his story is going to sum up in some ways everything that's happened before. Here is the last figure. And here is the fulfillment figure, the Lord Jesus. John, the end of one era, Jesus, the beginning of another. So Luke shows this to us in two little scenes. The first is a birth announcement. The second is a birth story. We'll look at the birth announcement first in verse 5 to 25. Uh, we hear John the Baptist's story. And in many ways, John's story really replays the past. It replays the Old Testament. Uh, look at how it begins in verse 5. It says, in the days of Herod. Now, that should conjure up the background for us. Here's a nation living under foreign rule. A nation that have failed. Here's a nation that were meant to be the nation of blessing to the world. And they'd ended up in exile. And sure, they weren't in exile anymore, but they were under the Romans. They were under Herod. Here's a nation still in darkness, still east of Eden, still in the wilderness, as it were. It's a reminder of the story we're in. It's replaying the past. Still east of Eden, still under the oppression of sin and death. Our story begins in the days of Herod. It happened in the days of Herod. It happened that there was a faithful priest called Zechariah, married to Elizabeth from the line of Aaron. And verse 6 tells us something about them. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But, verse 7, notice this detail. And tell me if there's anything familiar about it. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now, if we know our Old Testaments, if we've been paying attention these last few weeks, this will be very, very familiar. <laughs> An old barren couple in a dark, hopeless world. It's those Old Testament stories again. It's just like Abraham and Sarah. 
In fact, even the way they were described, righteous and blameless, that, that's language used about Abraham. See, here we have it, the Old Testament story replaying again. So many times and in so many ways, God had come to barren women in sadness and he'd worked out his plans and purposes. He'd done a miracle. He'd shown his grace and power. He'd broken through. And now it's happening for the last and final time. This is the last one before the big one. I think it's a, it's a little bit like this. Um, some of you will have watched the film Jurassic Park. Uh, raise your hand if you've watched Jurassic Park. So I check most people are going to get this. Okay, good. Steven Spielberg, golden oldie. Uh, at the beginning of that film, there is the scientist, Dr. Alan Grant, and he's explaining to a child how velociraptors hunt. Yeah, we're doing dinosaurs. Um, and this kid says, velociraptors, they don't look very scary, as this kid looks at these bones on an archaeologist's site. And he says, well, imagine you walk into a clearing and you see a velociraptor, says the scientist. And you think, well, maybe I'll stand still. Maybe it's like a bear, so I'll stand still and it won't get me. And he says, just as you're staring at the velociraptor, then the attack comes, not from the front, but from the sides. Tells you that up front. Later in the story, we find our heroes and they meet a velociraptor, staring them in the face. And you know what's going to happen next. They hit you from the sides, bam! It's just what's going on here, kind of, not with dinosaurs. <laughs> Old barren couple, what's going to happen next? God's going to be at work, bam, from the sides. His power, his purposes, his work coming through. And this one, the last one. The last time. So here it was, Zachariah, serving as priest that day. He'd been chosen by Lot to enter the temple. Come right close into the holy place, present the incense offering. Now, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's like winning the lottery, really. Um, uh, this, would, uh, this would happen once Zachariah would get this far into the temple. Picture the scene. He walks, into, he walks through a door he's never been through before. Senses are alive. Spine is tingling, noticing all the smells. Noticing all the colours and the lights and the details of the temple. And then what should he see? But an angel, verse 11. Now again, this is amazing because in the Bible, we... We often think in the Bible there are lots and lots of angels. But actually angels come in little groups. And actually in the Bible, there's a lot of angelic activity at the beginning of the Bible. And guess what? Now we're having angelic activity now. At our centerpiece. It's a signal. God is doing something. One age is being wrapped up and another is beginning. The angel speaks. Did you see it? Verse 13. The angel said, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You should call his name John. Again, it reminds me of the Lord's insistence. Wasn't the Lord insistent? Abraham, Sarah will have a son. Call him Isaac. It's replaying. Except this time with so much more. Look at the words in verse 14. Abraham had a bit of joy, but... Not many others saw it, but look at verse 14. Zachariah, you'll have joy and gladness, and, and many will rejoice at this birth. 
For he will be great before the Lord. He'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. A child is coming. It's not just going to bring private joy. It's going to bring joy for many. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. I find the detail in verse 17 fascinating. It's going to come in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. I'd expect verse 17 to say he'd come and turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. <laughs> it's not here, is it? It's the other way around. Here's a place, here's a world that's got so broken that fathers don't care about their kids anymore. And here's John the Baptist coming. And it is the great turning of the tide. A world that has got so broken that now a saviour is coming to make things new, to turn things round, to prepare the way for the Lord himself to come in fulfilment of the prophecy of Malachi. A new day is dawning. And I think even Zachariah's response to the angel replay, replays the past a little bit and kind of sums it up. Um, look at verse 18. Zachariah meets the angel, and what does he think? Puh. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. It's the doubt of the Old Testament era. It's Sarah's doubt again. On what, on what basis can I believe you? On what basis can I believe this? Thinks Zachariah. He prayed for so many years for a child, but it seems he'd long given up hope. And Gabriel silences him. And this is really interesting because in the Old Testament, when, do you remember Sarah laughed at an angel? In Genesis, we don't hear her speak again until the baby arrives. She's kind of silenced. And that's what happens now with, with Zechariah. And so Elizabeth goes into confinement, we're told in verse 25. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Here's the summary. Zechariah and Elizabeth, this old faithful couple, had lived under shame. There must be something wrong with you because you're barren. In many ways, people would have thought the same thing about the nation of Israel that, that God had made promises to. There's something wrong with you. There's no fruit. Israel never produced much fruit, did they? They lived under shame. The blessing of God never came. But now God was taking away Elizabeth's shame. And now God is taking away Israel's shame. See, from this nation now is going to come the Lord, that age that ended in shame, is now being brought to an end. And an age of glory is coming. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we need to see this this morning. Because Zachariah stopped hoping. He stopped believing. He stopped trusting God. He prayed, but it was really, it was lip service, really. When the angel appears, he doubts the angel, doesn't he? Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. Zechariah, it turns out, had forgotten. He'd forgotten what God had done as, as the Old Testament patterns replayed. As he went into the temple, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't see it. He couldn't see how all the stories led up to this moment, how they repeated for just a time as this, for the Saviour to come. I like to think about it a little bit like this. 
Uh, imagine for a moment the dad who takes his daughter to school in the car on the way to work. Okay? Dad takes his, she's five years old, he takes her, he takes her to school. And uh, he, he brushes her fringe, you know, he brushes the hair out of her eyes. You know, he straightens her collar, checks she looks all right. He checks she has her bag, he, he, he opens the door, he put your seatbelt on, shuts the door. She's only five. Imagine the story 20 years later, this girl, you know, 25 now, and dad is driving her again. He brushes her fringe, he checks she can see. He checks her neckline, checks her, her sleeves. He checks she has her bag. He opens the car door, checks she's belted in. Got to get her to the church on time. Today's her wedding day after all. You see, all those moments, all of those car journeys had led up to this journey. He'd looked after her, he'd cared for her, and now was the day when he gave her away. This last car journey summed up all the journeys before it. And so it is now. This birth story sums up all the birth stories before it. It's all being fulfilled. One age is passing, replaced with another. I suppose a daughter driven to, by, to school by her dad might sometimes have doubted her dad. What if, he's, what if he's not there for me when I need him? What if I can't trust him really? But on that last day on that car journey, he, he is there, isn't he? He is there. And here we see the Lord visit his people, the angel in the temple. Zechariah, he's come, the one who will prepare the way for the Lord. A light is shining in the darkness. The old age is finished. A new one has come. Zechariah asked on what basis he could trust the angel. The answer is the old story is replaying. And it all led to this point. Here then is the last birth story. The last birth through barrenness. After which the serpent crusher will come. The saviour was nearly here. The old age was passing away. And a new one was coming. So let me ask you this morning. Are you living as if we're still in an old age? Are you living as if God is only promise? Are you living as if there's more to doubt than there is to know of God's? Are you living as if you can't be sure whether God's reliable or not? Are you living... Like you can't really trust his word. What he says, will it really happen or not? Friend, if you're living like that, I hope you can see you're living in the wrong time zone. You're living in the past. And that era is over. It's finished. John is the end of all that. He's proven himself. He's come. He's brought that age to an end. Are you living in that old age? If you are, can I suggest a couple of things you might like to do this morning? Firstly, maybe go and talk to someone about it. Say, I think I'm, in that, I, I, I'm living with that heart of doubt. Maybe go and, go and chat that through with some people. That would be a good thing to do. Secondly, confess it to God. That's who you want to take those things to, isn't it? And thirdly, and this is the big one. Would you go and read the great promises of God in the scriptures? And read them this time like they are really true. 
like they are really coming true. Read them for them, maybe now the first time, and read them properly. Because God has broken into his world in Christ Jesus. Darkness is passing, has passed away, and the light of the Lord Jesus has come. I challenge you to do that. The old age is over, the new has begun in Christ. We see that in the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, the old era passing away, summed up in John, as it were. And now a new era signaled with the birth story. So we had a birth announcement. Now we have the birth story. Come with me, please, over the, over the page a little bit, isn't it, to verse 57. Finally, Zachariah gets his voice back and he's able to proclaim the future. Elizabeth, um, in the end, gives birth. It would have been a surprising scene, I think, uh, because she'd hidden herself away for five months. Hardly anyone knows she's pregnant. Um, but she, she gives birth, and no one can escape the conclusion, family, friends, neighbors, that the Lord has shown mercy. An old woman's had a baby. How was, God must have done it. And they rejoice. Already the rejoicing of many, the angel foretold. It's already happening. But our attention isn't to stay there. Events move on to the baby's circumcision and naming, and a controversy breaks out about his name. Everyone thinks this baby's to be called Zachariah Jr. Elizabeth said it's John. Little does she know, words of the angel. Hmm. People say, this is outrageous, Zachariah. Have you anything to say on it? Oh, no, you write it on a tablet. Beautiful, isn't it, how Zachariah, who had doubted God, gets a second chance. That's an encouragement to us, by the way, if we've doubted God, Zachariah gets another chance. And he says, no, no, this baby is to be called John. Immediately, his speech impediment reversed. He praises God. You can imagine the shock and confusion at that circumcision naming party. I mean, first of all, it was weird enough to start with a baby to an old woman. Secondly, they gave him a non-family name. That's quite unusual. And thirdly, the guy they thought might have had a stroke because he couldn't talk suddenly starts talking again and praising God. And the big question, of course, they ask is there in verse 66. Right? What does this all mean? What will this child be? Zachariah sings, he praises God and he... He prophesies, as it were, under the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives guidance to us. Uh, Zechariah speaks of three things. A king, a messiah. He speaks of God's promises and he speaks of preparation. Uh, look at verse 68 and 60 to 69. Zechariah sings, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He's visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. A horn speaks of a, a figure of power. I think it's a kind of doo -doo 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 horn. It's, that's, not, that's not the imagery. It's a figure of power. Okay. And this figure is in David's house, the royal house. This is a rescuing king. I think of the king figure on the hill in the Lord of the Rings in the return of the king. This is, the, this is that. Zechariah says, God has visited. Here's a rescuing king. We're going to be saved from our enemies, thinks Zechariah. Do you see that? It comes up twice, verse 71 and verse 74. I think Zechariah probably thinks God's going to send a military king, a military victory. I think he probably thinks that. A 
but he speaks better than he knows. Look at verse 74. Oh, this rescuing king must be coming. I've seen the work of God. We're going to be saved from our enemies that we might be delivered out of their hands, that we might serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah speaks more than he knows. This victory of this king is going to be so big that there will be no more fear of death. There will be no more reign of sin. This is the big victory, the big intervention, the big rescuing king. And it's all in line with what God has promised. Zechariah speaks of that. Verse 70, look. This happens just as God spoke by the prophets. Verse 72, showing mercy as promised to the father, fathers. Remembering his covenant promises. Verse 73, remembering the oath he made to Abraham. This is just what God said would happen. And now it is. And so this child is preparation. He's the hinge of history for the rescuing king to come. The crowds wondered, what will this child be? Well, the answer is verse 76. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here's John. He was the last figure of the last age. But he is also the the preparation for the new age, isn't he? He's going to teach people they can be saved. He's going to tell people to long for forgiveness of sins. He's like the opening act. I wonder if you've seen those um, kind of Shakespearean plays. In fair Verona, where we lay our scene, a pair of star-crossed lovers. Right? Someone comes out with those lines and opens the play. And that's John. He's preparing. He's the first part of the new age. He's laying out what's to come. This is new. This is God's in breaking. This is God's fulfillment of all that he promised. He introduces the hero because guess what? The tender mercy of our God has come. He has visited us from on high. In a place of darkness, light has come. You see the message? He's come. The saviour has come. He's here. He's come. He's come. He's come. Quietly. But he's come. Born in the manger. Walked to Calvary's hill. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Crucified, dead and buried. But raised to life on the third day. Now ascended. And seated as king at the right hand of God the Father. He stands to make intercession for us. He stands for our forgiveness. A new day has come. It's all signalled for us here. Did you know that today you can know God in a way you never could have before? You can know God as father. You can know Jesus as friend. You can know the Holy Spirit live inside you. You can be a new creation. You can look forward to a new creation. Because a new day has started. It's broken in. The kingdom of God is near. 
It's just getting started. And here we are today. Let me ask you, does it feel like a new day has begun? Many of us, I guess, think, well, I'm not, I'm not so sure it does. After all, this stuff happened so quietly. Has anything changed, really? I mean, no one knew about Elizabeth and Zachariah and Joseph and Mary. all happened so quietly and hidden away. But it's just because it happened quietly. Doesn't mean it's not the most important thing in all the world. That's why Luke is telling us about it. It's fulfilled the types and the patterns, the prophecies fulfilled. When a light dawns on the horizon, if you've ever climbed up a mountain and watched the sunrise, the light shines faintly to start with, doesn't it? As it breaks the sun, as it breaks the, the horizon. The light's hard to see at first. But on Easter morning, <laughs> the light shone brightly, didn't it? From an empty tomb. A new day has come. Of course, our trouble is we don't often make much of a fuss about this, do we? Um, it's not like we walk around the town with placards out, do we? Repent and believe, the end is nigh, that kind of thing. And so we could so easily forget a new age has begun. We didn't know much of the old age, as it were, did we? But notice here, the new age isn't about placards or worldly stuff. It's about sins being forgiven. It's about being changed from the inside out. God has come. Just look at your heart and you know it. Forgiveness of sins is happening. Look around the church. People whose lives you see that aren't what they used to be. Because a new age has begun. And when we see that a new age has begun, guess what we can sing? Do you see how Zacharias sings? Blessed be the Lord. He is singing with joy. Does anyone here long for joy? Well, notice that God has broken in. Notice what he has done. That a new age has begun. If we see what he sees, then we'll get what he got. Our doubt of God need no longer hold sway. We don't live in the old age of uncertainty. We live in the age of fulfillment. Our doubt in God need no longer hold sway. Our confidence in God can rise and joy can grip our hearts. You could miss it. You could so easily miss it, but Luke doesn't want us to. So he gives us John the Baptist and Jesus. One age ending, a new beginning. So that we know that God has broken in and we need no longer live as if God won't come through for us when he already has. This is the last birth story before the birth story. When, when everything starts getting fulfilled. When C.S. Lewis says that that clock begins to work backwards, death itself begins to be unwound. The last birth story before the big story. And we, friends, are in it. We are in the new age, not the last age. Jesus is fulfilling God's mighty works, his mighty acts, his mighty promises. Do we live like it's true? 
Shall we pray? Isaiah prophesied in chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Shall we pray? Our gracious Father, forgive us. Forgive us, we pray, for living as if we're in the old days. Forgive us for doubting you. Forgive us for living as if things must be uncertain when you've broken in in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to, to realize you are working out your plans. There is much to be excited about. There is much to be joyful about. You are setting the prisoners free. You, undo, you are undoing the reign of sin and death. You are bringing good news. It came at the cross, proven at the resurrection, and now you're in glory. And what we have to look forward to, wow. So, Father, free our, free our hearts from that uncertainty. Help us to be grounded in what Luke wants us to be grounded in, in what you want us to be grounded in, that a new day has dawned. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.